0: Amen. Welcome. Buenos dias. Uh, This is a first study, an introduction to a short series on the Psalms. We're not going to cover all of the Psalms. The Psalms are too deep. Even the Psalms that we're going to cover, like today we're going to get partially through the first Psalm. I I was trying to get a handle on how can I describe how deep and profound these studies are going to be. If this board represents the bulk of academic research over the last 2,000 years since the, founding, since the formulation of the New Testament, or 3,000 years since the Psalms were born, there is this incredible corpus, this incredible body of literature, commentaries, insights, things written by Spurgeon and Augustine and Calvin and all these heavyweights that have all of these great uh, deep observations and, uh, you know, they, they would fill up a, b- a board like this. Our study is going to be here. So that's, that's the depth that we're going to r- arrive at because, well, first of all, we don't have time to go that deep. I'm not that deep. I read people that are deep. I mean, you know, if, 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 if one of Spurgeon's comments were here, it would be here, Calvin here, Augustine, you know, that'd be way down here. We're up here. So we're scratching the surface. But the good thing about mining for treasure in the scriptures is that the gems and the precious stones and the gold is so close to the surface, it's amazing what we can get from this uh, superficial uh, introductory level of a, of a study like this. So it's kind of like we're flying. I like to describe this like we're flying. If you've ever flown over the mountains, let's say you've flown from Denver to Salt Lake, you fly over a good chunk of the Rockies. And if it's a clear day, you know, you can see, I think a better depiction, is you fly from Reno to Sacramento, and you fly over the Sierras, stunning mountain range. And you look down, you see it, you can see the lakes. But you really can't say, yeah, I've been there. I know them. <laughs> you know, I, I, I might have saw this mountain peak, that mountain peak, got a nice view of Lake Tahoe. But uh, you really don't know it. When you drive through it, you get a little bit more of a perception. And when you hike through it and you camp out, that's when you really get to know it. So Augustine, Calvin, Luther, those were the guys that hiked through the Psalms. We're flying. So that's the, that's the difference between them and us. So uh, these are masterpieces. Of uh, interactional, uh, interpersonal, uh, really what, what we are in the deepest level, these Psalms help us to express them and explain them. Uh, Spurgeon, in his lengthy commentary, and of course, Spurgeon, you know, this guy's in a class all of his own, he wrote I don't know how many volumes just on the Psalms, and he entitled them The Treasury of David, which is a great title for a, a commentary on this, because there's so many things that are so rich and full and uh, edifying that, uh, you know, you just can't help but say, man, it's like the Lord is in this. And uh, <laughs> it'll almost make you think the Lord knows how I feel and, and what I'm going through. And he does. So whether we're feeling sorrow, happy, uh, uh, some difficult situations, or you're just mad, angry about something there is an inspired psalm for us. So, sad or mad, blessed or stressed, God turns blight into light and strife into life. And that's about as Mickey Mouse as we're going to get here. I I just had to have those those little rhyming things here. Now, I'm going to ask that we will pray one more time because we should reverence the Word of God so much. And I'm going to give you an illustration. I, I think it'll be a useful illustration to show you how we reverence the Word of God, and how some people don't, but when we read it, we're not just reading some commentary. It's not like people, you know, it's ironic. Sometimes people put more faith in their horoscope than they put in the Word of God. You know, people say, did you read your horoscope today? I said, well, yeah, I read the first Psalm. I'm gonna be okay. (laughs) That's my horoscope right here. We're reading my horoscope. So Psalms number one, let's pray. And when we pray, we should always quiet our hearts and say, Lord, please speak to me. And I'm, I'm going to pray and I'm I'm going to just ask you to jump on with me and say amen or indeed or yes, Lord, or whatever. Father, Lord, as we open up our hearts and are trying to learn from your inspired word, I pray, Lord, that your spirit will give us the instruction, the illumination that we need, and you'll speak to our hearts, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. The notes for this study are in your Bible. Psalms number one. That's the notes for the study. Doesn't get any better than that. Whatever version you have. I'm reading out of the New American Standard this morning. I may choose other versions at other times. In this psalm, the variations between translations are not that great. So, uh, you know, it's, and, and you know it, it's really like that with so many uh, uh, scriptural things. The variations in translations are not so drastic. It's just the, uh, uh, the translator's uh, bias or preference, you know, say one. Those of you that are bilingual know how, uh, if you're translating from English to Spanish or vice versa, or whatever other language you're translating into or from, you know if there's more than one translator, there's a couple of different ways that you could go and essentially say the same thing. So it's, it's not that, well, you know, you read that Bible and that's not inspired. That's, that's not the one Paul and Silas used. You know, <laughs> we, we, we all know Paul and Silas used the King James Version, you know, but that's... that's, that's <laughs> We say that facetiously, but there are some people, man, they're so married to the King James Version, I mean, they, they feel like everything else is, uh, is wrong. Indeed. But it's really not that bad. What's that? Indeed. Indeed. There you go. That's from a former Baptist. He knows what he's talking about. But, but, but if he was in his Baptist thing, he would have said amen. We, we know that for sure. Okay, read along with me. Whatever version you're reading, you'll notice it's not that different. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields his fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they're like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. What a masterpiece of literature. We don't appreciate the inspired word of God as much as we should. And that's why we reverently approach it. We we reverently... Uh, open ourselves up to it. We say, Lord, speak to me. This, this, th- this is where it's at. Now, on the board, uh, this, this, may not, it, this is not the only way to describe the content of this psalm, but I, I just am entitling it, Who the Lord God Will Bless. And we have, starting with three negations. Uh, I've noticed over years of ministry, people don't like to be told what not to do. They just, don't preach at me. You know, Let me do what I want to do. I know, you know, just don't tell me what not to do. They really don't like it. And that's why the Ten Commandments have not been popular with this crowd. They just, you know, they're very negative. They're very, uh, you know, these strong negations. And uh, I don't talk much about Hebrew, but I do remember when I could read Hebrew, reading the Ten Commandments, was like a punch in the face. And I mean that as graphic and, and, and as, as offensive as that sounds. When I read that, when I was thinking in Hebrew and I could read Hebrew and I read it and it's, you read it backwards and it, it, there's nothing that looks like, but there's no doubt about it that God means business when he says, you don't do this. Matter of fact, the first word in those Negations of the Ten Commandments. You know, thou shalt not commit adultery. It, the first word is NOT! <laughs> and he means visit. He's not, eh, you might not want to consider this, Don, but <laughs> NOT! And you really get the, I'm telling you, it's like a punch in the face. It, 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 it took me aback. It was like, whoa! And uh, anyway, I'm glad that that happened to me because now I can share it with you. And hopefully, you know, maybe give you a little black eye or something. So it, 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 it sticks with you. So with these first three negations here, blessed is the man who doesn't do three things. Walks not, stands not, nor sits. Not, not, nor. Now, I've been thinking about this psalm for several months now because I've been preparing for this emotionally academically. And I wanted to bring something good. And, and while my mind wanders and as I click into neutral and I'm thinking about what I want to present to you, I kept hearing this not, not, nor. Walks not, stands not, nor sits in the seat of the scornful or scoffers. And as I thought about it, I almost started to hear a rhythm or a beat. It was like, not, not, nor, not, not, nor, not, not, nor, who the Lord God will bless if not, not, nor. Now, that's, that's just me, okay? I don't expect you to jump onto that and say, wow, that was, yeah, I got the same thing. Barbara Ann, you recognize that song? Oh, I knew that I was talking to a hip bunch here. I'm talking to a hip bunch, a knee bunch, a shoulder bunch, we've, we've got them all going on. So, not, not, nor, here's the thing about these three negations, and it's the genius of inspired scripture. Blessed is the man who walketh not, standeth not, nor sitteth. Can't you see that there is a very logical progression downward a dissension, if you will, the first way that we're exposed to ungodly thinking is walking in the counsel of the ungodly. Now, that doesn't mean that we're actually walking. It's figurative speech, all right? We're dealing with Hebrew poetry. These are idiomatic phrases. They're idioms. They're figures of speech. And it doesn't mean literally, but it describes what happened. And by the way, this is a very subtle, slimy, deceptive, satanic demonic attempt to get you to disbelieve the word of God. The first thing is we're walking in the counsel of the ungodly. You know people like this. You work with them. You might be related to them. And you're not necessarily walking, but as you're in your normal interaction with them, you'll start to pick up things that are unscriptural, ungodly. You're going through something and they'll say, well, I'll tell you what I'd do. And then what they tell you is not what the Lord would want you to do. It's ungodly counsel. Number one, don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Because you know what's going to happen next. And it's just a subtle process. It happens slowly. You don't even know it. But before you know it, you're not walking anymore. Before you start standing there and you say, you know, <laughs> that may not sound so bad. Now I'm not just walking casually. Now, I, now I'm stopped and I'm standing. Let me think about that. Standing in the way of sinners. That's not a bad place, but sounds good. Intellectually, it sounds good. And uh, this happens to us all the time. And I just want and, and to... The next thing you know is, nor sitting in the seat of the scornful. Now, people don't usually jump from the walking to sitting. Usually there's this... And again, it's the genius of inspired scripture, how subtly first you're walking, then you're standing, the next thing you know, let me sit down and think about that. That may not be so cockamamie like I thought. So uh, we're, we're, we're surrounded by these negative influences. And I thought a good way to explain this would be like this. We love and appreciate the word of God. But I'm going to tell you something about this Bible. Most people have it down there. Their head's up here. They're over the scripture. These are the people we're talking about. The counsel of the ungodly, standing in the way of sinners. They don't take the word of God seriously at all. Actually, I would be more graphically accurate if I dropped this Bible on the ground to tell you how far the respect or the disrespect for scripture is in our culture and society today. I don't want to do that because I don't like to drop the Bible on the ground. It's a a, a visual disrespect, and I don't want to bend over that far to pick it up. So (laughs) I could, but I don't want to show off. So so we'll just have it here for an illustration that the Bible is down here. Our heads are up here. And this is when people say, oh, come on, you got to be You don't believe that, do you? What's the matter? We're sophisticated. We're modern. This is ancient stuff that, who knows where it came from? You've heard all of the lame excuses. And of course, as as the one who was involved in the ministry, I heard these on a uh, uh, laity level, and I've heard it. It's really scary when you hear it on a a theological or, or clerical level. But there's people that have no respect at all for the word of God. Good example of this, if you go to the Universalist Unitarian Church, there's one right on the intersection of 410 and 10. And uh, here's an example of a church that believes in everything and they believe in nothing. (laughs) Because the Bible, as far as they're concerned, is down here. They don't have any respect or reverence for it at all trying to think if there's anything else I want to say about the people who have it down there. It's very disrespectful. They almost sneeringly, if you say, well, I believe the Bible. They say, <laughs> well, you're going to believe those miracles, those, those stories, but the people born of a virgin, that doesn't happen. Resurrected from the dead, that doesn't happen. And by the way, these are very critical, foundational things to our Christian faith, especially the resurrection of the dead. But all of the other miracles, Why do we think that the Lord has a hard time with anything? I think it was Abraham in his conversations with the Lord who said, is anything too hard for the Lord? It's one of the great rhetorical questions of scripture. He wasn't asking the Lord, hey, explain that. Wait a minute, is there anything too hard? No. You ask that question, is there anything too hard for the Lord? Obviously not, never. There's nothing that's too hard for the Lord. So I think you people here are in agreement. We don't have the Bible down here. I'm gonna show you where we have the Bible. But first there's another group of people that have the Bible here. It's kind of that I I see the Bible, but it's on the same level as my head and my intellect. It's not down here. I'm not going to say I totally diss it. I'm saying it's up here. I believe what it says, but let's check it out. Let's let's make sure. Again, we're modern, we're sophisticated. We know things they didn't know thousands of years ago, we're pretty sharp. As a matter of fact, I'm impressed with how smart we are now. So I can hold the Bible out here, and I can critique it, and that's what people do. And this happens also in a uh, in what we would call a liberal uh, seminary level. They don't have the Bible where they ought to. They have it out here where, well, it's, uh, and I was going to, uh, Dr. Skates, Dr. Scruggs, you can certainly elaborate on this more than I could. Uh, Rudolf Bultmann was a uh, uh, known by some as to be a great theologian, but uh, he had the Bible out here. And he said, well, you know, and and, I I don't know if Bultmann's known for this as much as other uh, liberal theologians are, but they say things like, well, the Bible contains the word of God. We say the Bible is the word of God. They say, well, it's in there somewhere. My head is going to help us figure out exactly where it is because I'm pretty sharp. And I know that it's in there somewhere. But first it has to be demythologized. That's Bultmann's uh, buzzword. The Bible has myths. You can't expect us to believe this ridiculous stuff, these myths. Let's demythologize it and make it to the place where all of us academically advanced people can appreciate the Bible. So that's when you have the Bible out there still not good. We, and I think I'm speaking for those of us in this room, have the Bible up here. We're under the word of God. We don't question the word of God. If the Bible says it, that settles it. We've all seen the bumper sticker, the Bible says it, I believe it, and that settles it. You can cross that middle line out. Whether you believe it or not, doesn't matter. If the Bible says it, that settles it. Now, of course, this is given the fact that we are properly interpreting the bible there are people that are fast and loose they do not follow the science of biblical interpretation and there is something about the science of biblical interpretation and by the way the reason i'm saying all this is it we're 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 kind of jumping ahead how do i keep from the influence of walking and standing and sitting but well we're getting over here to the delight in the law in god's law is the main thing that's why we're making such a big deal That's not when you have the Bible down here. It's not when you have it here. It's when you have the Bible here. We're under it. I willfully put myself under it. I heard John Piper say a couple of months ago, I was watching a video of him. And he said, you know, I got to tell you, there's some things in the Bible I really don't like. And I know what he was talking about. You know, there are things that you may not like, but you're down here. Your head's down here. The word of God is up here. And even though you may not understand it or be able to say, yeah, yeah, sure, I can, I can explain that, this is where we are anyway. We're down here. Our heads down here, the word of God is up here, and this is where it's at. And this is where it ought to be. This is what keeps us from this subtle, slimy defilement of walking in the counsel of the ungodly, standing in the way of sinners, sitting in the seat of the scornful or scoffers, How do we prevent that? Our delight is in his law. That means it's up here. Let me illustrate. Up here. Our delight. Delight is something that uh, we don't use much, and we should. Uh, Anyone here ever left the church service and said, Bob's message was just delightful. (laughs) I say that. I think it was delightful last week. Anybody here last week? Man, we had a house full, didn't we? <laughs> all three services. I was only in one, but uh, I th- I'm pretty sure that Bob said the same thing, all, all three of them. In the 11 o'clock service last week, Bob thrilled me when he started off, and I think he probably started off all sermons, he said, there's never been a time in my life when I didn't believe the inspiration of scripture, the deity of Jesus, the virgin birth, the resurrection. He was just raised, and I was amending him, or indeeding him, in my heart as I was listening to him because I was raised the same way. And I'm so thankful that I had godly parents. I never got to the place, the Bible in my life never dropped below this. That doesn't mean I wasn't always doing the right thing. I, and I know Ron can identify with this, we, we had a similar prodigal insane period where whoop, whoop, we just went a little bit insane crazy, but the Bible was always up here. And I got to tell you, it's very hard to be a prodigal son and enjoy it when the Bible's up there and you know you're wrong. And the conviction of the Holy Spirit is being preyed down on you by godly parents. And no matter where you are, there's that spirit of the Lord whispering to you saying, you don't belong here. That's a great thing. Uncomfortable, but it's a very, very great thing. So, we have here something that looks kind of like a chiastic structure, but I'm not, I'm not going to push that too much. I'm not sure I'm a chiastic scholar. I'm not any kind of scholar, really, but uh, I, I, I know what a chiastic structure is. You know, we have these three corresponding downward things, and then we have a big butt, and then we have, well, our delight is in the law. We meditate day and night, and we're like a tree. That's by the way. So, so there's somewhat. I'm I'm, I'm kind of modifying it a little to make it look kind of like a chiastic thing. But the main thing is there's three things you don't do, and there's this big intervention here, and then we delight in his law because we have it up here. We don't just have it out where we're, uh, where we're picking it apart. Now, if anybody has any questions, uh, if I'm talking too fast, if, uh, hey, it's only 9 o'clock, we've got an hour and a half. I'm really glad to see that. So uh, I can slow down. <laughs> Thank you for getting here early. <laughs> Thank you, Chuck, for uh, skipping your class and coming here and being with us. <laughs> You're All right, man. So uh, so we have this chiastic structure. And uh, the main thing, if there's something that I want to repeat and hammer onto you, is that this process right here. And again, this is the genius of the inspired Word of God. 3,000 years ago in this rhythmic, Hebrew, poetic uh, structure that it's given to us, we have the genius of exposing the uh, devices of the devil. First, they walk with you, then they get you to stand still, and the next thing you know, you're sitting in the seat of the scornful. And we see, you will see, you have seen, maybe you're watching it happen right now. There's people around us that are in one of those three stages, or maybe they're down here. i got to tell you a brief testimony. Right after I got saved in 77 I had a very dramatic Damascus road experience is what people usually call it I it was radical it was a radical shocked back into reality from my prodigal insanity and I'm so thankful for it And I'm working for this sheet metal company I'm learning my trade which has helped me and blessed me immensely during my ministry and uh, I'm working at a sheet metal shop and it was a an old cowboy old rodeo cowboy I mean this guy walked like evil Knievel he had been bucked off he was his knees and everything was bad, he'd come walking in. He was, he was an old rodeo cowboy and he was probably in his 70's, looked like he was in his 80's. And he noticed that I was kind of a exuberant, I was always talking about the Lord and he got me aside and he said, Paul, what faith are you? Now I knew what he was asking for. People, they want to know your name tag. They want to know your, you know, what, what's your denomination, what are you Baptist, you know, you, what, what are you? What, what faith are you? I knew what he was asking for. But I just wanted to mess with him a little bit. <laughs> and I said, Vic, I'm a, I'm a Christian. Oh, I, I know. I know you're a Christian. I want to know what faith are you. I said, well, I told you. It's a Christian faith. I mean, I, I was being legitimate. I knew what he was asking for. I just wanted to mess with him a little bit. Finally, I told him I went to this Assembly of God church. I think he went to a Methodist church. And so we talked a little bit. By the way, this was the only conversation like this we ever had. And uh, somehow we got on the subject of... Uh, Jesus coming back, and this is what he said. He said, oh, I've been hearing that all my life in church, and I ain't seen nothing like that yet. (laughs) And I thought of what Peter said, that in the last days will come scoffers. That's people that have already made themselves, they found a seat. They're sitting here in the seat of the scornful. And Unfortunately, my friend Vic was in this place. Oh, I've been hearing that all my life. Yeah, I ain't seen nothing yet. And, of course, I was full of the scriptures. I was reading them all the time. And I said, Vic, you just made me excited. <laughs> Why? Because <laughs> you just fulfilled what the Bible said. What are you talking about? And I quoted the verse from First to Second Peter, which says, In the last days will come scoffers, saying, Where's the promise of his coming? We've seen it all and everything. Things still remain the same. Isn't it amazing how if you listen, you'll hear people say the exact same thing that the Bible warns us. Don't believe this or don't believe that. Don't end up sitting in the seat of the scornful. Here he was. He's a member of a church. I don't know. I kind of think it was kind of a dead church. Uh, I, I, not actually for sure, but you just have that suspicion. It, it, it was somewhat upsetting to hear him say, I've been here and I ain't seen nothing yet. As if our 60, 70, 80, 90 years on this planet gives us the ability to critique everything in the Word of God. You know why that is? That's because we got the Bible out here. Uh, I've been hearing about that. I ain't seen nothing yet. See, I'm the one that'll tell you when you can believe it because my intellect is on the same level as this Bible. That's where his intellect was. And unfortunately, he arrived at the seat of the scoffers and the scornful where he didn't even believe that anymore. Now, that's not going to stop the truth of Scripture from happening, but it's just the way that it goes. You know, the only way that we really can figure out what's going on in the world as these subtle procedures of people walking with us, standing with us, and trying to get us to sit down, as as we're delighting in his law, we're meditating on a day and night. See, this is more than just a daily devotional, quick cursory reading. To meditate, some people would say to really meditate, you should have a verse memorized, but you can meditate without uh, memorizing a verse. But meditating, I was going to write three Ms on here, but I'll just tell you, there, there are three Ms. Meditating means to be chewing on it. We all know what chewing on it means. I can talk about sheep or cows chewing the cud, but that's disgusting. We're not going to go there. We don't do anything like that, but we do pull up verses and we chew on them. And uh, this has even made it into our vernacular, to our, our modern figures of speech. People say, well, let me chew on that for a while. We know what they mean. And then sometimes we hear people say, well, I chewed on that for a while, but I just can't swallow it. Right? You know, so we, you know, we, 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 we hear these, these figures of speech. And meditating is to be chewing on something, not with your physical teeth, but with your mental molars. Mm. Three M's. See, an oral surgeon can appreciate that. Yes, there are, there are mental molars that are up there that we're, we're, we're chewing on. And I'm going to tell you something, and I think you all know this. I'll get a hearty indeed from this one for sure. We've never meditated on scripture and been disappointed at the end of that ruminating or meditating or chewing on it. We've never come to a scripture, and, and by the way, there are people that hold the Bible out here. They chew on it for a while, and they say, I just can't swallow that. Well, that's your problem. The Bible needs to be up here, not out here. People chew on it here, and they say, I don't like doing this. Out. But uh, we love what it says in the uh, 19th Psalm that we'll eventually get to. It's sweeter, sweeter than the honeycomb. That's to, to meditate on the word of God. So it really is sweet. And if, if, if you do not find the sweetness of Scripture, uh, why don't you pray, Lord, help me to delight in your law. I really want to, I want to have me an experience where I get carried away with your word. And you can have that if you ask him for it. If you don't watch too much TV instead of meditating on this, because what you see on TV and the secular media it's totally on this side. Actually, it's one place where they just get you to jump right out of the pew in church to sit in the seat of the scornful. You plop down on your easy chair and you put on some filthy TV show or some movie and it's vexing, it's, hot, it's salacious, it's filthy. You wouldn't allow this stuff to go on in your living room, but yet you do allow it to go on in your living room. And the, the, the only antidote for that is the delight in his law. And then you, it brings about you know, the logical conclusion is if you are watching one of those filthy movies, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, because you're delighting in the law of the Lord, will say, turn that off! And then you can turn it off. And that's a, that's a good thing. Why do you want to feed something that you're not going to have anyway? Right? I'm talking to men now. You know, you see in this beautiful young thing. Hey, there ain't no way. Not, she'd never be interested in you. I don't care how much money you have. That's not going to happen. And, you know, of course, women have their own, you know, fantasies. Well, it's, oh, I'm sure he's much more tender than my wife. Nah, you got to know him. He's just, a, he's just like your husband. We're all the same. So, uh, you know, but people get these, these deceptions. Oh, it'll be so much better. The grass is always greener on the other side. You're chewing on the wrong thing, okay? You're dumb sheep. Get back in your pasture where you're supposed to be and <laughs> delight in the law of the Lord. That's the main thing. Meditating, not just once and once, but day and night. Man, that sounds kind of fanatical. That's because my, guru, my word is up here. I want to meditate on it day and night. I may not like it. I may not understand it. I was telling you what John Piper said. You know, there's, there's things that I just don't understand. And he was talking about certain things in the Reformed faith, and he said, He said, you know, uh, I got to admit, he said, hermeneutically, and that's the science of biblical interpretation, hermeneutics, he said, uh, hermeneutically, the Reformed people have got it. We have an accurate translation of the scripture. And it doesn't matter whether you like it or not, you can still delight in it and say, Lord, I want to be where you want me to be. That's kind of a, a, a jumping ahead. So we okay so far? Now all of these studies are going to be a little bit different because they're going to be on different Psalms. Next week we're going to do two Psalms. I, I you know I was just reviewing the notes now we're just going to do one. I, I, I thought we we're going to do two because another one went with it and it was small. We're going to do three and 13 but I, I think we're probably just going to do uh, one of those three. And, uh, and then two weeks from today i am going to be preaching in yorktown there's a PCUSA usa church that is going eco and we like to hear that go eco they're going eco and uh uh we ron and i and chris i i guess and, and joe moore we have been uh, volunteered to fill in at these churches We're, We there's a lutheran church that's also pulling out of their lutheran uh, liberal thing you see you know what's exciting they're, they're in a denomination where the Bible's here, or worse yet, down here, and they want to get to where it's up here. And that's an exciting thing, and we want to help them do that. So we're excited about that. So as we meditate, as we delight in the Lord, we're going to get to this part like a tree. But there's one other thing. I can't figure things out in the world unless I have a good enough handle on the Scriptures. It's like everything I see on the news I don't believe what they say. It doesn't matter what they say. What matters is what the Bible says. So I view everything through a scriptural grid, kind of like a filter, a scriptural filter. Well, the Bible says men are getting better. <laughs> the Bible does not say that. See, what I need is, is binoculars. <laughs> I need Bible bin- binoculars. This is what I need. I can't figure that out. Oh, in the evil days, man will get worse and worse. Now I understand. See, I can see it now. So, Bible binoculars. It's Hard to do it if your Bible is hard covered, but you get the idea that what we're, we're looking at the world through what the Bible says. That's how we delight in his law. When you delight in his law, you're not looking for some unscriptural explanation. You're looking for something that lines up with the script. That's the main thing. And what they teach you in, in seminary uh, when you're preaching, teach, teaching the Bible, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. That's profound, isn't it? That's, that's the main thing. So uh, we do that because we... And, and who's the main thing? Yeah, the, the main thing is not a what. It's, it's a who. Jesus Christ is the main thing. Our Christology what we believe about the person and the work of our glorious Redeemer is everything. Even in these uh, uh, Psalms that are a thousand years B.C., we see Jesus. And uh, even if people say, well, that's an unwarranted connection. You're going back and you're reading something into it. Ah, leave me alone. I'm going to read into it. I like to find Jesus everywhere because he is everywhere. And uh, That's what I'm going to continue to do. I really don't care whether people like it or not. So here's the deal. You don't do those negative things. You do these positive things, and you're like a tree. Now, again, this is figurative, idiomatic, Hebrew, ancient Hebrew poetry. So we have to kind of read it loosely and not as we would uh, uh, exegete a Greek passage because Greek is a much more technical uh, we, we think more like Greeks than we do Hebrews. He, uh, G- Greek is much more linear, Western Aristotelian thinking. You even read it the right way. Hebrew, you read the other way. It, it, Nothing makes sense. But uh, actually, people in Africa are able to identify with uh, Old Testament stories, hyperboles, idioms, uh, even the narratives of the Old Testament, because, like in Africa and other parts of the un- what we would consider undeveloped world, underdeveloped world. They're better off when it comes to understanding because they just get it better than we do. We think differently because of our uh, highfalutin. Of course, again, a lot of people got the Bible right there. I'll tell you what to believe. I have it right there. So I don't want to be like them. I want to be like a tree, like a tree planted by the waters. As I was putting this together, I was thinking, where do we see trees planted by the water? You ever been up to the hill country? The Frio River, Medina River, Guadalupe River, even the Sabinal River. (laughs) They're these cypress trees that grow right alongside the water, and they're huge. (laughs) When we lived in Uvalde over 40 years ago, and in between church, Sunday morning and Sunday night, we'd go up to Concan, and there was a big old cypress tree that had a rope on it, and we'd swing out and jump in a Frio River. It was great. It was... uh, I was growing up all over again, really. People say, where'd you grow up? I say, which time? (laughs) I grew up the first time in the Northeast, but I grew up the second time in Texas. I really did, because when I was born again, I became as a child and I grew up all over again. So it's like I spent my childhood in Uvalde and it was great. And you know, went to Concan, did all these things. And uh, I got these trees that I'm using as a illustration today. And people uh, love these trees. But they're unlike trees. I mean, you know, the rest of the country, these scrawny little mesquite bushes and cedar bushes. But these cypress trees, what is it that makes them so big and impressive? It's where they're planted, by the water. And the reason why the psalmist is mentioning these things, and we know water is figurative of the word of God, the spirit of God. If you're planted by the deep waters and you put your roots down deep, you're going to be all right. You're going to be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Not only a tree, he goes on to say, a tree which, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. What do you call that? That's deciduous, right? Is deciduous the kind of tree that, like an evergreen? Okay, so you're, whatever that is, deciduous. I shouldn't be going off into horticulture, <laughs> you already know I don't know much about it, but I'm just... you know what an evergreen is, okay? You know what a Christmas tree is? All right. And uh, these trees, <laughs> you know what the Bible says, okay? <laughs> Your leaf does not wither. That's enough. Let's just stick with what the Bible says. Your leaf doesn't wither, and, whatever, and in whatever he does, he prospers. You got to love this. Lord, I want to delight in your law day and night. I want to meditate on it so I can be like a tree so that whatever I do prospers. Now, this does not mean we do not take this unwarranted leap and say, well, that means I can invest anything I want in the stock market and I'm always going to make money. Probably not. It does not mean, see, that's that's taking a scripture literally where it's not intended to mean that. And I always remember what... uh, two guys, two professors from the seminary that I attended, I did not have them, I've read their books, Uh, Gordon Fee and Douglas Stewart wrote a book for laymen. And the name of this book is How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. And it's a great book. Bill, weren't you telling me about a book the other day? But almost the same, same. how to read the Bible or how not to read the Bible, right? See, you need to know how not to read the Bible and how to read the Bible. You know, there are people that read the Bible, uh, Sproul calls it lucky dipping. Well, I want the Lord to speak to me. And and, and that's what they do. You know, I mean, man, you got better odds at the roulette table in Vegas, you know, you know, than 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 finding some. You know, but people will just do this. And Judas went out and hung himself. Whoa. Let me try again. And what thou do is do quickly. Whoa! You know, it's, it's unwarranted. How to read the Bible for all it's worth is, is a, uh, uh, a great book in, 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 in beginning hermeneutics. It's the science of biblical interpretation. And uh, there's a statement in there that if you remember, it'll always keep you on track. Here it is. The Bible never means what it never meant. If you remember that, you will do well. And you'll be less likely to be uh, blown aside. You'll be more like a tree. Planted by the water, because you know the Bible never means what it never meant. That's the first thing we have to find out. We all hear people sincerely that say, well, I was reading the Bible today. This is what it means to me. Whoop. I'm sorry, Don. I'll use you as an instrument. You're my friend, and you you won't get offended. If you said that, I'd say, that doesn't matter, Don. I'm sorry. It doesn't matter what it means to you. It matters what it meant originally. And once we know what it meant, then we can make the chronological and different leap. What do you got, Ron?
1: In our former denomination, I was always many times challenged. People would say to me, certainly, you don't take the Bible literally, do you? That's a smokescreen question. Yes. And I would always say, yes, I did. I mean, we well, must be the fundamentalist. I said, no, no. Have you ever taken seventh grade Say, so, you know, to interpret something literally means to interpret according to the literal literature genre. So, to take poetry and interpret—there's many different literary genres: mm-hmm. like poetry, history, parable.
0: Right. To
1: take a poem and interpret it as history. Right. Is not taking the Bible literally. That's right. So I would say, yes, that's our job to find yes. out what the literary... Now, it's not always cut and dry, right. uh, but that's
0: our attempt yes. to try yes. to interpret toward the rules of the job. Right. That's because your Bible's up here. The other guys, I got it out here. Eh, I'm not so sure. <laughs> you expect me to believe. And, and you know, people have questioned the word of God ever since Abraham, ever since Adam and Eve. You know, we can go back to Adam and Eve. It, uh, I, I think I might have done this once. You know, when, when, when people uh, uh, are walking in the council of the ungodly, standing in the way of sinners, it's questions that come up. And do you know that the first question in the Bible, and this is always a fascinating story. Go back to the first time, the first lie, the first murder, the first question. You know what the first question was? It was the devil questioning the veracity of the word of God. When he said to Eve, you know, Eve said, hey, the Lord told us not. And the devil said... Hath God said? Doesn't, doesn't the question mark even look like a serpentine coil? <laughs> Hath God said? Did he really say this? Said? And uh, this is the same thing we hear people do today. They question the word of God. Right? <laughs> and you know, people have always questioned the word of God. I was thinking about... <laughs> You know when Abraham had his meeting with the Lord and the Lord told him, go back and circumcise all the men in your house. Do You think all those men just said, okay. <laughs> Some of them were gonna say, yeah, Abraham, stop sharpening that rock for a second. wait, let me, let me, let me just, can I just ask you something? <laughs> Are you sure he didn't say cut off your skin? <laughs> it's just not, not foreskin. And so, uh, people have always questioned it. You know, they come back with these, with these uh, uh, questions. I'm not sure the Lord wants me to do that. And, uh, and of course, they probably did it in Abraham's household. And uh, Eve in the garden, the question, has God said? And that, I, that's still one of the main questions that people will throw at the Word of God. But usually, these are the people that have the Bible down there. We can't believe anything, he said. He said that, he said that. <laughs> the book according to who knows who. You know, I've, I've heard people say that disrespectfully. They diss the scripture because it's down there. We know better. So uh, I think that our studies, as we take one psalm every Sunday, and I was going to call this the top 10 psalms. And people say, well, well isn't that kind of subjective, don't you? You know, how do you know which are the top 10? Well, I was going to tell you. So, so this way you'd know which are the top 10. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll let you kick him around. I don't even know that we're going to get through all 10 of them. I don't know when Ron is going to start his series. And you know we're going to be bouncing around, maybe uh, preaching in other places. So uh, now two weeks from today, Joe Moore is going to fill in for me uh, here because I'm, I'm going to be preaching in Yorktown. And I checked with him last night. I asked his wife. That's how you check with him to find out. And uh, Sandy said, yes, yes, she's his uh, uh, booking agent. And she said, yes, he'll be there. So uh, he's preaching in Bernie today. That's why Sandy's not here. I'm glad you're here, but uh, yeah, uh, Joe is preaching. And uh, he's going to do the 23rd Psalm. And then a week or two after that, I'm going to do the 23rd Psalm because it's so good. And uh, it'll it'll be good to hear it explained and discussed in two different lessons. I've got some stuff uh, that I've prepared uh, that I got from people way smarter than me. That's what you want to (laughs) hear. You don't want to hear my opinion. (laughs) I'll get something from down here. And then we'll bring it up to this level where we can all understand it. So... uh, I kind of think the way our study is going to go is uh, some days we may not get through the whole psalm. I, I would like to mention here, uh, you know, the contrast of, of the wicked. And we're, as we're running out of time, we're like trees. What does the Bible say the wicked are like? Chaff. Sawdust. That is about as uh, a graphic, uh, uh, a contrast as you could get. A tree planted by the river waters to sawdust the righteous are like this, the ungodly are like this. And the thing is, we're living and interacting in life side by side with sawdust. And they don't even know they're sawdust. And they don't know that we're trees. Because their Bible's down there and ours is up here and we know what's going on. And you can say, indeed, we do know what's going on. And anytime you don't know, well, you know how to figure it out. So use your Bible binoculars. That's the best way. You see through the maze and the deception of the media and and fuzzy-headed philosophers that are telling you, well, this is the way it is. This is what life really is. I really regret one time I saw Deepak Chopra in an airport, me and a friend of mine were up in Seattle, and he was on TV the day before, and he was running to his gate. Oh, how I wanted to run alongside. I wanted to talk to him. But it didn't work out, and it probably wouldn't have worked out if I talked to him either. But I, I, I really wanted to talk to him and ask him, Dr. Chopra, what is, you know, what is, it? and, you know, he, he's pantheistic, and I, probably mostly Hindu, but he's, he's, worked, he's, he's out there. His, I'm not sure if you can even see how far the Bible is, how he's put it away from where his head's at. But, you know, because he's thought to be very smart. I like to hear what these other people say. But just keep in mind, if you're ever having a conversation with people that are obviously unscriptural and wicked, you're talking to sawdust. That's that's the Hebrew poetic description. They're like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment. Now, we know we're all going to be standing in the judgment. Well, this is Hebrew poetic idiom. They're not going to say, in other words, their argument's not going to stand up. I think that would be a, a better way to say, you know, we, we say, well, you, you don't have a leg to stand on. And uh, they're not going to stand, in the, they have nothing to stand on because they're off the foundation of Scripture. Where are they? They're on quicksand. Man, I'll tell you, if you're sawdust blowing on quicksand, that's not a good place to be. You'd much rather be a tree planted by the waters. So uh, again, we see this, this is characteristic in Hebrew poetry. The wicked will not stand under judgment, nor sinners in the assemblies of righteous. It's just a kind of a one-two punch characteristic of the way uh, Hebrew poetry is laid out. And then it says, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous. Boy, howdy, doesn't he ever. The Lord knows them that are his. That's a comforting phrase. I don't always know the way things are going, but I know the Lord knows. And as long as I know that he knows, somehow that has a therapeutic benefit that I'm going to be okay. The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. You don't want to be there. You want to be here. And you avoid it by being perceptive of these three negations. Don't even walk with them. Don't let them stop you and stand there. And God forbid, don't sit down in the seat of the scornful. I think that's less of a, a danger. But uh, we're all in the uh, realm of temptation where ungodly where people have the Bible down there or else they have it out there in front of them. And they're questioning things. They yeah, got to really say that. And uh, you, you know that we're, we're surrounded by ungodly advice like this. And we know that uh, that's not the way to go. Right? Are there any qu- Hey, Chuck, what do you got? It
1: says, today you'll be with me in
0: paradise. That's so comforting. You know, even if I heard that today, I'd be okay with that. Wouldn't you? If the Lord said, this is it, Rick, today's the day. You're going to be with me in paradise. Okay. I would prefer it happened during an IRS audit. That's when I'd really <laughs> like to hear that. <laughs> That IRS guy, boy, you're in trouble. <laughs> I'm going to be in paradise, bud. See ya. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> That's how I want to die. <laughs> I don't want to die. Oh, we die doing something you love. You snowboarding and caught an avalanche. No, I don't want to die. That's how I want to die. I want to die in the middle of an IRS audit. <laughs> Just, I'm going to be with Jesus, IRS. See ya. <laughs> so where'd he go? Well, I've got Bibles here. Whatsoever I do is going to prosper. And the end is going to be all right. So... Uh, Are there any other uh, questions, anything? Uh, Next week, if you would like to read uh, the uh, third and the 13th Psalm, uh, we're going to kick it. Very different. All of these Psalms are very different. And then two weeks from today, Joe Moore is going to do the 23rd Psalm. And then I'm going to come back. I'm not sure if I'm going to do that the next week. I may do the 19th before we do that. But uh, let me tell you something. These Psalms are dynamite. They're so good. They will feed your soul. They will they will help you to uh, recover emotionally and uh, whatever you need emotionally. In your inner core, God has inspired a psalm for you. Amen. Amen. Lord, help us to take these words serious to meditate on them, Lord, day and night, and to truly delight in them. We ask you, Lord, to put it in our hearts to want to do it. In Jesus' name, we agree together. Amen. 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 Amen.